Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. U.S. Bank wants to know how you reward yourself because they have cards that make every day more rewarding. Are you a points order, cashback guru, low intro APR lover? With U.S. Bank, it's up to you because they have the cards to fit your lifestyle. So earn more whether you're shopping at a gas station or grocery store even while planning a staycation. Learn more at usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. Rotowire Mixed Martial Arts Podcast. I'm Jake Latarski, joined today by John Litterine. If you're out there on Twitter, you can give John a follow at John Litterine. That's J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can give me a follow at Jakeski52. Today, John and I are going to be making our fantasy picks for the biggest fights of UFC 210. Uh, that is Rumble Johnson, DC Cormier. A lot to get into, John. We're going to talk about DraftKings lineups, value plays, picks, and whatnot. But to get things going, man... John, I got to ask you about Bellator. We've been having a lot of uh, a lot of signings of former UFC names. People are saying they're starting to gain some ground, putting together some pretty good cards. The big question, though, is their upcoming pay per view that's uh, on June twenty fourth. Bellator one eighty. Is that worth your fifty bucks? I I think it is. As far as if you're a hardcore MMA fan and you're looking for quality fights, there are some underrated fights on that card featuring fighters who probably deserve your 50 bucks the issue is with me 
And you're right, Bellator signed a lot of good fighters recently. Ryan Bader, uh, Lorenz Larkin, yep. Rory McDonald, Michael McDonald. They're adding quality fighters to their roster. There's no doubt about it. But the issue to me is, and I think a lot of people feel this way, is that Bellator is still viewed as a company who is just going to do whatever. I mean, UFC, obviously, their goal is you know to sell fights too, but... When you have a fight, a, a card like this, this Bellator pay-per-view card where you have a bunch of really good fights and really good fighters on the card, but your main event is two guys who are way, way over the hill, it still makes it kind of tough. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I hear you. Those guys that they signed, you're talking Bader, you're talking Larkin, all those guys, yeah, they're fighting for titles, but they're fighting, you know, they're setting up Matt Mitrione and Fedor, and uh, they're setting up Kelson and Vanderlei Silva. So the headliners, you're right, they're just, uh, they're kind of name grabs, I feel like, but at the same time, I'll probably buy the card. I mean, it's good enough to uh, those those title fights leading up to it. I mean, the fact that they're going to do three of them—a light heavyweight, a lightweight, and a welterweight—you know—that's good enough for me. Oh yeah, no, there. I mean, there are definitely quality fights on the card, and it's pretty much just you know, are you? Do you think it's worth it to sit? You know, to sit for you're going to have to realize that you know the the what you as a hardcore MMA fan are paying for is really for the earlier fights on the card while the casual MMA fan is paying for the later, less quality fights with the bigger names. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right on. Well, let's uh, let's just take that into uh, back to some UFC talk here. We've got our main event, UFC 210 in Buffalo. That is this Saturday here. And it's going to kick off with a main event, and it's going to be a rematch of uh, a light heavyweight uh, championship fight between Daniel D.C. Cormier and Anthony Rumble Johnson. The DraftKings salaries, Cormier and Johnson, equal on DraftKings, 8,100. This fight, in terms of Vegas odds, kind of a pick We'll see how the money moves around, but right now I'm looking at Cormier, plus 105, Anthony Johnson, minus 125. So, John, I got to ask, Rumble lost to D.C. already. And DC is the current champion, but DC still finds himself an underdog. Why is that? Well, the reason he finds himself an underdog is uh, very simply because of Anthony Johnson's power. Um, like you said, Cormier won the first fight between the two. Took place just under two years ago. Um, DC has not fought a lot since. He's fought twice. Uh, split decision win over Alexander Gustafson. And a fight over Anderson Silva, which was more just to build up UFC 200 than it was any anything for his title. Um, the issue in the first fight was that Rumble Johnson got tired, and it's Rumble has had cardio issues in the past, but we haven't seen them in a while. We saw it that night, and it's an issue in a fight that's scheduled for 25 minutes. Uh, you know, I picked Johnson in the first fight. I was wrong. I'm picking him again. And the reason I'm picking him is if you stand with him for an extended period of time, I have more faith in his ability to finish someone than the person he's fighting to survive. Um, it's It's really, it's a, it's. I'm surprised Cormier is an underdog, if for no other reason than Johnson's cardio is. A, it's a legitimate issue, and it's the thing that scares me the most 
in picking him. Mm-hmm. I think the people that are betting on Rumble or plan on using him in their DraftKings lineup, their big reasoning is that it's not going to get to a point where they have to worry about Johnson's cardio because they think that he'll finish him. And if you remember in the first fight, Johnson had him down. He scored a knockdown, which is now, I believe, a 10-point bonus on DraftKings. He had that nice knockdown, but DC was eventually able to recover, which was which was quite surprising watching it at the time. And then he just outlasted Johnson throughout the rest of the later rounds. He definitely did, and he, he ended up he ended up getting you know what went in the books as a submission win. But the reason he got the submission win was simply because Rumble Johnson was exhausted. Mm-hmm. And as we all know, DC's offense is based upon his wrestling, always has been. And as we've said on here numerous times, Anthony Johnson's wrestling game is underrated. He's a good wrestler. He's obviously a big, strong guy. Mm-hmm. He's not easy to take down. But it's hard enough to keep Daniel Cormier off of you when you're fresh. If you're exhausted, it's impossible to keep him off of you. It just doesn't work. Mm-hmm. Both so, of these fighters with elite takedown defense. I mean, Daniel Cormier at 80% according to fight metric, and, and Rumble's right there behind him at 79%. Yeah, and DC knows this. He certainly knows his best chance of winning this fight is to make it ugly and try and drag Johnson to the mat and, and just you know make it a grind and make it boring. Mm-hmm. And, but I am of the belief that if... Johnson shows up in shape, and he looked like it was. Which, the first fight was weird because he looked like he was in shape. Like there was no visible reason to lead you to believe that he wasn't in shape, but that he was exhausted. It was very, you know, he looked visibly tired very quickly. Yeah, and he definitely exerted a lot of energy early yeah, in that fight. It was very strange, but my, you know, my reason for picking Johnson is that I have confidence that. If anybody, if he, if he can last an extended period of time, I have confidence in his ability to knock to knock his opponent out. The guy just hits too hard. Mm-hmm. But that being said, I'm still worried about his cardio. Yeah, that's definitely going to be a concern. And you know, DC he'll go on air and he'll go on UFC tonight and he'll say how he's always going to box for a little bit. But I think he, that's all for show for the fans to sell fights. I think he's going to do the smart thing and try to wrestle this one out because. I mean, just looking on the feet, even looking at the tail of the tape, Anthony Johnson, three inches taller, but a six-inch reach advantage, and he's five years younger. So they say Father Time's undefeated. Daniel Cormier's 38, definitely not getting any younger. We'll just have to see how that goes. So I'm going with Anthony Johnson. It's a little bit of a risk on DraftKings. I think when I make my DraftKings lineups, I'll probably make multiple ones, kind of, and I might make one out of the three with Cormier just to kind of hedge that a little bit because I think he can get enough fantasy points with grappling and, and a handful of strikes of, over the course of a five-round fight to make it worth it. But uh, for the, I, I, on the record, I'm going to go, and I, if i got to pick one or the other, I'm going to be with you, John, and I'm going to pick Rumble Johnson in this fight. Yeah, I, I, I am a little surprised Cormier is an underdog. You know, mm-hmm. that being said, we're still you know a few days away from the card, and it's the, both the lines are close enough that it can certainly even out by the time the fight goes off. So this is essentially a pick em for me. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if either guy won. But, you know, with all John Jones, everything he's going on, no matter who wins, these I think it's really, really clear at the moment that these are the best two light heavyweights in the world. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think all roads lead to John Jones here. There's no question about that. And that's the fight that most of the fans want to see. DC says his legacy won't be complete. It'll hinge on whether he can beat John Bones Jones or not. Uh, Rumble Johnson, of course, I'm sure he'd like a shot as well. 
Um, but I think, I mean, everyone knows John Bones when you think about the light heavyweight division here, but this is what we have here until Bones can come back this summer. But you mentioned pickums earlier, John. We've got another kind of a pickum in the co-main event, which is an excellent middleweight matchup here between Chris Weidman and Jagard Musasi. Weidman enters, actually, again, the more kind of more experienced, well-rounded fighter you would think is the underdog in this fight. Weidman with a $7,900 salary on DraftKings. Musasi is at 8300 As far as Vegas odds go, it's a little bit more spread out than the main event, but Musasi is a minus-135 favorite. Weidman, a plus-115 underdog. Now, Weidman doesn't quite have momentum on his side where Musasi does. Do you think that's the main reason here for the discrepancy? I don't really know. You know, and this is a little strange to me as well. Weidman, not all that long ago, was viewed as one of the best pound-for-pound fighters in the world. Now he's riding a two-fight losing streak. First two losses of his career. Uh, Yoel Romero and and, uh, Luke Rockhold. And if you remember, in the Rockhold fight, which he ended up being knocked out in the fourth round, he was in control in round three. looked like he was about to go ahead two rounds to one when he went for a really off-balance, stupid strike attempt, and it didn't connect, and things kind of fell apart from there. So he appeared to be in pretty good shape in that fight. He made a stupid mistake. And in the Romero fight, very early in round three, in a fight that appeared to be around the piece... He pushed forward, and Romero just landed a perfect, vicious knee to his face that knocked him out cold. So that you know that can happen to anybody. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Bisping's yeah. probably watching that tape. No wonder he doesn't want to fight Romero yet. But yeah, uh, you can't blame him. But uh, you know, I, I'm picking Weidman. But this fight, to me, the key to this fight is if Chris can stay patient. Because, like I said, the Rockhold fight, he got a little aggressive and wild when he didn't need to and that's what Musasi wants you to do Musasi is methodical his fighting style is methodical to the point of boring Hmm. and he will sit back and he will just wait for you to make a mistake yeah I mean if if Weidman's patient like you mentioned this could end up being kind of a boring fight I mean we talk about the the Thompson and uh, and Woodley rematch where it was two counter-strikers kind of going at it. Could you see this one being similar if they're both having conservative styles? I could, and that that was the Thompson-Woodley rematch was shocking to me that that was as slow and, quite honestly, boring as it was, especially, after the fir- especially with everything we saw with the first fight between the two. But this, this fight could go the distance. Um, easily, I think. Uh, if Weidman wins, much like Cormier in the in the main event, it's a fight where everything is based upon his wrestling. And uh, Chris, even in his wins, has gotten hit a little bit too much. Uh, if you remember the Vitor Belfort fight when he defended his title, Vitor popped him a good five, six, or seven times before he you know threw him to the mat and finished him off and. If you remember the Leo de Machida tile defense, he took some he took some punishment in that fight as well. So Chris has gotten hit a little too much, and if you try and force things against Musasi, a guy who has forty nine professional fights under his belt and twenty two knockout wins, twelve submission, the guy's been the guy. He's only thirty one years old. He was born in August of eighty five of nineteen eighty five, mm-hmm. and he already has that many fights under his belt. So. 
I mean, he was like, back in strike force. He made his professional yeah. fighting debut in 2003. Yeah, he's been fighting forever. And you have to remember, I think that if Musasi wins this fight, it will mark five fights, five wins in a row for him. He'll have the case for a title shot. He really will. Mm-hmm. Uh, his his other issue is, like we were talking about before, he's not particularly marketable. He's not great on the mic. He He doesn't give great interviews. He doesn't call people out. He doesn't talk a lot. He's trying to do a little more of that. You can just tell recently, but he's still not good at it. Yes, and that that makes it hard to try and market him in uh, you know a, a big high profile fight. But you know, I live all of Island, born and raised. I have faith that Chris Weidman and Matt Sarah and Ray Longo can come up with some kind of plan to neutralize Musasi. Uh, you know, but again. If Chris gets over aggressive, he's you know he has a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from, and 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 that concern worries me just about enough that I'm going to go ahead and go with Musasi in this one. And and it's a very tough call. I struggled with this decision a little bit, but my two main reasons are going to be a momentum, like we've discussed, how Weidman hasn't looked great lately, and even in in his wins, has gotten touched a few times. Whereas Musasi, uh, outside of a, what I would say, and I think we can both call a fluky loss to Uriah Hall that he later revenged, he has won, you know, let's see here, six of his last seven. So I definitely like that. I mean, all his losses have been have been pretty respectable there. But there is an intangible factor that, you know, I, I don't like bringing these types of things in when we're trying to just pick one fight or set one fantasy lineup. But this is the last fight on Jagar Musasi's UFC contract. Now, he's only 31. He's going to be a highly touted after free agent. Now, you mentioned he's not the most marketable guy, but he's somebody else that other promotions like Bellator will probably go after if the UFC does not make an enticing enough offer. And this is probably his one chance on the, on a very big stage, the co-main event of a pay-per-view, to really get his name out there with a convincing performance here. And, and, and we'll see if, if he can come through for that. But with that much on the line, it's it's tough to it's tough to, to determine who's got more on the line. Musasi with his contract... Or Weidman, who's on two straight losses, so it should be an interesting fight to see how it plays out. Yeah, it will. And I, you know, even if Weidman loses, he's not going anywhere. But it, you know, it's hard to make another run at the top when you're on a three fight losing streak. When you lose three fights in a row, every division division in the you know in the company is competitive. And if you lose three fights in a row, the road back to the top is a long, long way away. Mm-hmm. Indeed here. Well, let's move on to the uh, next fight on the card here. It's a women's strawweight bout between Cynthia Calvillo and Pearl Gonzalez. Uh, the DraftKings salary has Cavillo as a pretty big favorite, 9,100, Gonzalez 7,100. As far as Vegas odds go, Cavillo minus 260, Gonzalez plus 220. Odds to finish on this one, plus 130. This is a tough one, John, because we don't know a whole lot about either of these two. It's supposed to be maybe an underrated, maybe a little bit of a sleeper fight. But only one of these women, Cynthia Cavillo, has had time in the UFC octagon, and it's only been a little over three minutes. I mean, what can we even learn enough from that to go ahead and throw in a DraftKings lineup this time around? No, uh, we can't. And I am—I was very, very surprised that they put this fight on the main card of a pay-per-view. Um, there's really, to be honest, no reason <laughs> for it. Um, like you said, Cynthia Cavillo took her UFC debut on... I want to say it was 10 days notice about that. It might have been exactly 10 days, somewhere around there. And she beat Amanda Cooper in the third round. I mean, but again, Amanda Cooper is not any good. So it doesn't really tell you a whole lot. Um, 
Cavillo has four professional fights under her belt. Exactly four. She trains with a good team in Team Alpha Male. She's very tough. And you could see in the Cooper fight that she was willing to take punishment to give punishment. And that's not always, uh, you know, it's an honorable, you know, it's an honorable way of fighting. It's not the smartest way of fighting. But um, I'd be lying, and I think a lot of people would, if they say they have enough information to make an educated guess about what's going to happen here. Mm-hmm. The only benefit I could see of using someone like Cavillo would be sometimes to win in DFS, you kind of have to zig when everyone else is zagging. So if a lot of people have that same mindset and they go with other people in that $9,000 range here, maybe maybe a Will Brooks or someone they know a little bit more about, um, then you, if Cavillo were to get an early submission, then that would set you up ahead of the field. But again, it's I'm not going to come out and call that or guarantee that because you're right. I, I just don't honestly know enough about her based on that short time in the octagon. It seems like it's someone the UFC wants to hype up a little bit, but uh, I, I guess we're going to have to wait and see. This is the chance that uh, they'll have to do it. Yeah, they will. And now, on the other hand, if you know, you feel like you don't know, if you feel like you don't really know much about either woman, you could throw Gonzalez to draw up and hope you know you hit a home run for someone who has a real cheap salary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just like, yeah, you got to zig when someone else is zig. It'd be more of a GPP play, I think, to use either of these women as opposed to uh, a cash game or a head-to-head contest in the MMA world here. Let's move on to another fight, though, that we can analyze maybe a bit more here. Uh, we've got a welterweight matchup between Thiago Alves and Patrick Cote. Alves is a plus-140 underdog for this fight. Cote, a 160, minus-160 favorite. Cote checks in, 8,500 on DraftKings. Alves, 7,700 on DraftKings. Uh, I mean, how do you see this one playing out? This one, neither of these guys are particularly good at finishing, so we see an odds to finish of plus 145. Uh, Tiago Alves tried to drop down to lightweight to fight Jim Miller at 205 at Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. He missed weight by six and a half pounds. Ooh. He weighed at 162.6. Mm-hmm. And that right there is the end of his lightweight career. Um, You can't, can't, I mean, you can't really miss weight at all. You sure as heck can't miss weight by almost seven pounds. I mean, Um, there are athletic commissions that won't even let the opponent accept a fight if there are more than five pounds in between. That is is the difference. Seven pounds in New York State is the difference. And he was just about there. They won't, even if the other fighter agrees, they won't even let you fight. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, Tiago Alves went, he was younger, had a lot of knockout power. That's what he was known for. As he's gotten older, it has not surprisingly slowly vanished. Um, you know, he knocked out Josh Koscheck, he knocked out Matt Hughes, he knocked out Chris Lytle. You know, he back in the and I'm talking back in the day when these were top guys. Um, now he, you know, he just he doesn't move like he used to. Um, he struggles to get into position and he's lost two fights in a row and, you know, granted it was, you know, quality, decent fighters in Jim Miller and Carlos Conniff, but he doesn't at age, you know, 33 and with a lot of miles, he, he doesn't offer a whole lot. I, I think his job could be on the line if he loses. Now, Patrick Cote, on the other hand, it's a guy who, even though he's coming off a loss to Cowboy Cerrone, Cote at age 37 has done better 
recently than I thought he you know, than I thought he would. He's since two of his last eight fights, the losses are to Cowboy Cerrone and Stephen Thompson. So, you know, no sleep <laughs> to losing to either of those guys. But again, most of the wins are against nobody. So, um, I took Cote with the caveat that I think he has a better chance of lasting all three rounds against Alves than Alves does of hitting him with a knockout. Uh, Cote's been fairly durable over his career. Uh, 33 pro fights, he's been knocked out twice, so you know that doesn't happen very often. Um, but again, a fight that I could see going the distance, making both guys not terrific DraftKings plays. Um, but I'm not... If you're, if you're putting Alves Tiago Alves in your lineup, uh, you're certainly looking for some kind of finish. Mm-hmm. Well, that or possibly some kind of volume, because when I look at the tail of the tape and the stats here, uh, Alves, through almost three and a half significant strikes landed per minute as opposed to 2.8 for Cote. So there's a little bit more volume with Alves, and if it does go the distance, I guess it's possible that he could rack up some fantasy points for you. I mean, he's not going to get him from takedowns. Both of these guys average, what, 0.72 takedowns per 15 minutes, which isn't a whole lot here, so... I guess you're hoping for volume and maybe a finish with Alves. This is one you're right. I think I'd probably avoid from DraftKings, but if you insist on taking this one or if you're doing an event where you just pick fighters from the main event, then I think maybe Alves could be a little bit better play, though. But just because I think I don't I don't think he'll get finished early and enough points to at least give you a good floor in your cash game lineups. And, you know, we say a lot, fighters like this, it's hard you know, Daniel Cormier, take Mid-Exempt, for example, and even the Cormier event, Daniel Cormier and Anthony Johnson are, even though they're older, they're in the prime of their careers in the sense that you don't see their game slipping at all. These are two guys who, you know, and I'm sure they would tell you, even if they wouldn't want to admit it, that, you know, their best days are behind them. And those are fights that make it tricky because it ends up resulting in a wide range of possible outcomes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly, making it a difficult one to pick here. But here's a nice cash game play, I think, when you go to the lightweight fight that kicks off the pay-per-view here. Uh, we got Will Brooks against Charles Oliveira. Brooks checks in at 9,000, Oliveira 7,200. Brooks a minus 265 favorite, whereas Oliveira plus 225. So Brooks is not a, he's a favorite in a fight that has minus 125 odds to finish. And he's only $9,000 here. Uh, I think you mentioned you like Brooks in this fight. Uh, I guess, why do you like Brooks, and is he a decent DraftKings play? I like Brooks, and I am very, very surprised, although I am very surprised that he's that big of a favorite. That's a heavy, heavy line. Um, Charles Oliveira, for those who don't know, is a featherweight who cannot make the featherweight weight limit, and now, due to that, is a lightweight, <laughs> is, about, is about the size of it. And he's far less interesting at lightweight. He's going to be giving up size to some guys. I am, even though him and Brooks are the same height, I expect Brooks to be the bigger guy. Um, Oliver is a submission artist. That's where he makes his makes his money. His striking has not come along as much as he had hoped. Go, you know, he's been around a long time for a kid who's not all that old. His striking has not come along like his ground game has. He seems like he's been around forever, but Alvera 
only turned 27 in October, so he, he's still fairly young. But he's going to have to figure out a way in this fight to keep Will Brooks off of him. And I know Oliver is really, really good on the mat, but having Will Brooks on top of you is not going to lead you to a position where you can attempt many submission attempts. And Oliver's career takedown defense is below 60%, so while it's not the worst we've ever seen, it's probably slightly below average. Mm-hmm. And um, Look, Brooks has not looked particularly good in his two UFC fights, but this is a guy who, before he came over for Bellator, was widely considered to be one of the best lightweights of the world. Certainly one of the best lightweights of the world that was not in the UFC. Mm-hmm. But I'm a little surprised that He's such a big favorite, and I'm a little surprised at his drafting salary. I'd be willing to listen to an argument that, given their salaries, that Oliveira might be a better play because 7200 is a pretty low price for a really talented guy. Mm-hmm. But the other thing you have to keep in mind is Oliveira has been in fights with a lot of talented fighters. Frankie Edgar, Max Holloway, Ricardo Lamas, Cub Swanson, Cowboy Cerrone, Anthony Pettis, and he's lost every single one of them. Mm-hmm. So while he's not going to have any problems beating up lesser fighters, he's had serious problems beating the best of the world. And I know Brooks hasn't looked like that in his brief UFC career, but he is one of the better 155 pounders out there. Yeah, I, I'm going to give Brooks a pass against his uh, last fight against another Oliveira this time, Alex Oliveira, who came in way overweight to the fight, and Brooks oh, still yeah, accepted I, it. I, I threw that. I I didn't count that. At all. I, I threw that out the window. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so yeah, exactly. We're both just going to give him a pass on that last loss. And if you look to that, he's won his last, I don't know, what do we got here, nine fights in a row? So Yeah, I, the, I mean, the, the Alex Oliveira fight, Oliveira missed weight by a bunch. Brooks wanted to fight. He, he, you know, he accepted the fight. And basically Oliveira, who was much bigger and, you know, obviously bigger anyway and much bigger since he missed weight, Oliveira just pretty much laid on top of him for, for 15 minutes. And Brooks just couldn't get off of his back. So I kind of throw that fight out like it never happened. Yeah, absolutely here. So that's going to round out the main card, John. Uh, Looking back to DraftKings, a little bit reflective here. Is there somebody in that main group of uh, fighters on the main card or anybody else overall that you see has a particularly good value play on DraftKings? Um, (laughs) All right, I got two for you. Um, uh, It's become a running joke. We were talking about this the other day. I'm a Patrick Cummings guy. I'm going to be a Patrick Cummings guy until he gets released, which is probably coming when he loses this fight. Um, plus 100 against Yabukovic. Um, look, we, I say this every single time Patrick Cummings has a fight. He should be better than he is. I don't know why, but the guy stinks. But he shouldn't stink because he's really strong and really talented. Mm-hmm. Um, this fight, though, Bukovic's takedown defense in his UFC career is 33%. That is not good. Actually, it's awful. So maybe this will be the fight where Patrick Cummings will finally be able to out finally be able to wrestle someone and keep him planted on his back. Mm-hmm. Cummings averages almost seven takedowns per 15 minutes. The guy is a good yeah. wrestler. That's it. It's a perfect <laughs> matchup for him. The only thing he's good at, and Bukovic is terrible at, take, at, at defending takedowns. So. Hey, if there's ever a time to give him one final shot in hopes that he can use his wrestling to his ability, you know, this is it. Um, and the other one, the other fighter that I like 
that I thought was a pretty good value who was Irene Aldana in her fight against Caitlin Chikagian. Aldana just 7,500 compared to Chikagian, who's 8,700. Aldana came into the UFC as a pretty highly ranked prospect. She had a good career in Invicta, uh, had some good wins, had some tough losses, but you know, showed promise. And then she entered the UFC in December and she lost the fight of the night to Leslie Smith, which while they earned fight of the night, it was a fight that she lost pretty clearly. So, uh, you know, I acknowledge that she deserves to be an underdog. I understand. But again, when you're picking these kind of fighters to try and round out your lineup, you're just looking for people who could potentially, you know, return value at, at some point. So, you know, those are the two people on the undercard that I think would be worth taking a look at, giving their salaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, the numbers look good on Hildana, especially the striking numbers, just because, you know, they're, it's a small sample size. But I see where you're coming from there. I also think uh, just about any DraftKings lineup's got to get the got to get a piece of the main event. Both fighters are 8,100. You get $8,333 on average per fighter. So you get a piece of the main event, although it's a little bit risky because it's very tough to predict. I, I think that's got to go in there. That's why I'm almost making a I'll make a, a Rumble Johnson in a DC lineup and just to uh, kind of hedge my bet a little bit here uh, at the very least. But DraftKings aside, John, what are you most excited for on Saturday? You know, I'm excited. I, I, and I'm, I, you know, like I said earlier, Fumble Guy, so I'm a little biased. But obviously other than the main event, I'm really excited to see what, where Chris Wyden's head is at because there's no, obviously there's no shame in losing to, you know, a title fight to Luke Rockhold that, you know, that happens. Um, but after the Romero loss and as bad as it was and the way it ended and everything, I'm kind of interested to see his mindset. He, he's Chris is, you know, he's a smart guy who I think is going to be, is willing to, tailor his game plan to who he's facing. And as you know, as we know, there are fighters who will not do that. They will fight how they're going to fight, regardless of their opponent. And at times it can hurt them. But Chris strikes me as a guy who is willing to make adjustments in order to win. And if you read some of uh, you know the notes, you know, some of the Twitter feeds and stuff like that, that this week, it sure seems like he, Chris really realizes that this is really a must-win for him. Uh, he was on top of the division not all that long ago, and now he's staring at a three-fight winning streak if he doesn't uh, three-fight losing streak. Excuse me, if he doesn't win, and it's it's just you know, and for a guy who pushes himself as hard as he does and takes the sport as seriously as Chris does, that's pretty much unacceptable. And I'm I'm really excited to see how he's going to respond to such a tough, you know, the first real tough circumstance of his career. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm right there with you, John. I cannot wait for uh, that fight to come through. The other one, I know we just talked about it a moment ago, but it's got to be that, that Will Brooks fight against Dubronx Oliveira. That's uh, that's the one that I'm looking to see to get kicked off the card. You mentioned that uh, that Brooks was one point widely regarded as one of the best lightweights in the world here. So I'm looking to see if he can get not only a win but a convincing win, just to enough to sell me in on his prospects of making a run a run in what's one of prop, quite possibly the deepest division in the in the UFC. Do you think that's the case with lightweight John deepest division? Yeah, I would say that. I mean, it's it's tough because 
a lot of the divisions are kind of jumbled together, but mm-hmm. the two the divisions that come to mind as not deep at all are flyweight and heavyweight. Those are the two where they're they're just you know searching for depth anywhere they can find it. But light heavyweight too, that kind of light, light yeah light light heavyweight's very top heavy, mm-hmm. but um yeah no that definitely <laughs> and Brooks Oliver's in kind of a different spot, being that he's you know trying out a new weight class. So if he loses to a former you know world champion in Brooks, obviously he's going to be upset. But I I don't think anybody's going to really see it as crushing. Mm-hmm. Brooks, you know, entered with a lot of hype, and he can't afford, even though even though he's facing a really talented guy, he you know he really can't afford to fall the one and two in his first three UFC fights. Yeah, absolutely. Like several fighters on this card, they're going to enter the octagon with their backs against the wall a little bit here. Well, that's going to wrap things up for today's uh, MMA podcast. Thanks again for listening to John and I talk some UFC 210. Uh, one last reminder, you can follow John on Twitter at John Littering. That's J-O-N-L-I-T-T-E-R-I-N-E. You can follow me on Twitter at JakeSki52. And, of course, John, we'll be back prior to UFC 211 with Stipe Miocic against Junior Dos Santos. Take care, John. You too. Talk to you soon. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.